Well, good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to see you here today at the Vista. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Austin. I get to serve here as one of our lead pastors. If you're joining us for the first time, first time in a long time, maybe it's your first time at church in a really long time. We're just so glad that you joined us today, and we hope that you feel loved and welcomed and wanted, that you fit right in, you make yourself at home here today at the Vista. Now, today we are starting a brand new sermon series that I'm very, very excited about. It's a series called Past, Present, Future, and as you can probably intuit from the title, it is a series about time. And time, man, time is, well, time's a funny thing, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you all know all about time, because you experience time all day, every day, from your first day to your last day. But on the other hand, if I were to push you to like really, really explicitly explain what exactly time is. I think you might have a hard time explaining time. Have you ever tried to do it? It's trickier than you would think. St. Augustine said it about as well as it can be said when he said, what then is time? If no one asks me, I know. But if I want to explain it to a questioner, I do not know. <laughs> do you remember anybody seen the movie uh, Interstellar? <clears throat> it's probably five, six years old now. Oh, it's so great. Christopher Nolan, Matthew McConaughey. Well, there's this one particularly mind-bending sequence about time wherein these two astronauts go and they land on this planet that is orbiting very closely to this supermassive black hole called Gargantua and they end up spending about three hours on this little planet orbiting the supermassive black hole. But three hours on that little planet is the equivalent of about 23 years on planet Earth. Due to the way the immense gravity of a black hole literally slows down time. A very real and not science fiction phenomenon known as time dilation. And so this astronaut goes, he spends three hours on that little planet. And then when he gets off of it, he is now the same age as his daughter back on planet Earth. And this outrageous sounding but very possible scenario is a reminder that we're not just creatures who live in time but we are creatures who in a very real sense are made of time that time is not just something that we are in but time is something that is in us which means that our relationship to time is a very essential part of our relationship with God, James Smith is a theologian that I, I, I really like, and he's got this great book on time and discipleship and the relationship of the two called How to Inhabit Time, and he's got this great phrase that I want to use. Here's what he says. He says, we ride the cusp of a wave that we call the present, driven by the past and headed for the shore of the future. We ride the cusp of a wave we call the present, driven by the past and headed for the shore of the future. And I love this visual because it's so true to what life feels like, isn't it? I mean, we're all just kind of like thrown into life. You're tossed on top of this wave that is living. We're all trying to figure out how to navigate, how to surf this time of our lives well. Um, and so what we're going to attempt to do in this series is that it's a little bit of biblical practice and discernment on how to surf our time well by talking about healthy and unhealthy ways of relating to our past, our present, and our future, starting with our pasts. Now, it's in honor of the past that we have officially christened uh, this Sunday Letterman Jacket Sunday. You might have noticed a few people um, wearing the lens. I brought mine. I just didn't think I could preach it. I didn't think you could take me seriously, although it has so many patches on it, okay? Um, 
There are a lot of staffers in them, some of whom, though, they didn't, they didn't wear theirs because they said they couldn't find theirs, which I think we all know is code for they lettered in Dungeons and Dragons, which is fine. I played a little bit of D&D as a kid as well. Uh, we thought we'd get things started with a little crowd participatory challenge, and so here's what we're going to do. We've gathered together some baby pictures of all of our staffers. I look at how adorable these staffers are. So... What we're going to do is we've picked one of these that we're going to single out. And the first person to raise their hand, first service had a really hard time with this, raise their hand and answer correctly is going to win a vintage handheld Pac-Man video game. Kids, if y'all don't know what this is, it's basically like a Switch with one game and one button. Okay, it's so much better than a Switch. Okay, so y'all get the game. We've only got one of these to give away. Pac-Man are not in our Vista budget, so we pulled this from Dave Sally, so there's only one, okay, that we're going to give away. So I'm going to throw the picture up, first hand gets it correctly, wins. Count three, one, two, three. Who wants to guess? Right here, my man. He is a football player, you have to be a little more specific, though. <laughs> you? Okay, these are not a great start. Anybody else want to? It is not Austin. That would be very, you know, self-referential. Anybody else? Any guesses? Troy Aikman, um, it is a Vista staffer, okay, I mean, I, I may have not explained this clearly enough, it is a Vista staffer. Wendy, Nick, that's correct, Nick Follower, our beloved community pastor, Mark, I'm going to throw this to you, don't you drop it, it's worth a thousand dollars, pass it back there to Wendy, well done, Wendy, and so now if you have your Bibles, we'll turn to John 21, where we have this really fascinating story about a reckoning with the past. Okay, so John 21, verses 1 through 17 will be up here on the screen for you as well. It says, now after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll come with you. So they went out, they got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. It's a very realistic fishing trip. Um, but when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul in the net because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. So when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. I don't, he puts the clothes on to jump in, apparently. This is Peter, though. But the other disciples, they came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to him, bring some of those fish which you have now caught. So Simon Peter went and he drew up the net to land full of large fish, 153, weirdly specific number there. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples, though, ventured to question him, asking, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? So Jesus came, he took the bread, he gave it to them, and the fish likewise this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Last part of the story here. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said, well, then tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so he said to him, then shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was grieved because Jesus had asked him this the third time, do you love me? And so he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, well then, tend my sheep. John 21, verses 1 through 17. So, For a bit of context, this story here in John 21 follows a few very consequential events in John 20. Uh, First off, in John 20, there was the resurrection, kind of a big deal. Uh, And then we have this first post-resurrection appearance from Jesus where he just appears, Chris Angel style, in the middle of this room that's locked down with the disciples. And then eight days later, Jesus does the exact same thing, only this time, dear doubting Thomas is there to see it. And so in summary, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has appeared to all the apostles twice. He has breathed the Holy Spirit on them and then sent them out into the world with a mission to unleash and breathe the Spirit out onto the world. And then immediately following that, Peter's like, hey, I feel like going fishing. And some of the other guys are like, I'll go fishing with you. And this impromptu guy's fishing trip breaks out. So ladies, it's biblical. Um, This fishing trip is a very interesting event because on the one hand, fishing fishing is great. And brothers got to eat. You know, they're probably hungry. No big deal. But then on, on the other hand, it would appear as though there might be a little bit more going on beneath the surface here. Because do you remember what Peter was before he was a disciple? Well, he was, he was a fisherman. You remember the story, Matthew 4, 18 through 20. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net out into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to him, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And so here we have Peter, who was first called by Jesus while fishing and told to leave his net behind, picking his net back up, and it would appear attempting to return to this life that he had before he met Jesus. And why would he do that? I mean, after everything this dude has seen, Everything he has experienced, how, how could he go back to this life that he had before? But that's the thing about the past, isn't it? Namely, you, you don't have to go back to it because it is always with you and it is always in you. To quote James Smith again, he says, our past is not what we've left behind, it's what we carry. And so given that we cannot not carry our past nobody gets that option how can we learn how to carry this past that we all inevitably carry well and so to answer that question we're going to walk through this story and we're going to look at three healthy and unhealthy ways of carrying our past for symmetry's sake we frame them up as opposites so three unhealthy ways of carrying our past are nostalgia denial and shame The three healthy and inverse ways of carrying our past are gratitude, acceptance, and contrition. And so let's start with nostalgia and gratitude. Now, the great philosopher, Tony Soprano, once said (laughs) that remember when is the lowest form of conversation. And you know what he's talking about because we all know that there are all these unhealthy ways of being stuck In the past, you've seen it, you've done it, but in the past's defense, so much of the past was so awesome, wasn't it? 
I mean, you know, I was a child of the 90s. Any other children of the 90s in the room today? Yeah, there are a lot of us. It was a wonderful time to grow up, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, my, my goodness. I mean, you kids now that you will never understand how happy you were when this thing rolled into the classroom. Anybody remember this? Oh, my Lord. I mean, when you heard them squeaky wheels coming down the hall, bro, you knew you were going to do what? I'm going to watch some Bill Nye, and I'm going to catch some Z's, baby. Oh, there's no sound happier than the squeaky wheel of television being rolled in your classroom. And then does anybody remember the pencil sharpener? Anybody remember the pencil sharpener? Yeah, you remember the pencil sharpener. Okay, so here's the deal. Back in the day when you got a new outfit, you got some new sneaks, you couldn't post them to Instagram or TikTok, and so here's what you would do. On the day when you were going to wear your new outfit, you would bring a bunch of unsharpened pencils with you, right? And you would wait till everybody was in the middle of an assignment, and then you would stand up, and that walk to the pencil sharpener, bro, that was your runway. You walk down that runway, you get to that pencil sharpener, you know. Oh, some of y'all will never know what it was like. So, so much of the past was awesome, was awesome. But then there are a lot of things in the past that were not so awesome. And as the columnist Franklin Pierce Adams has pointed out, nothing is more responsible for the good old days than a bad memory. Now, case in point, somebody sent me this a few months ago, and I promised that I would find a way to use it in a sermon. I am fulfilling that promise. Y'all check this out. They're making it laws where you can't drink when you want to. You, can't, you have to wear a seatbelt when you're driving. And pretty soon we're going to become this country. Yeah, right? Right? Can I get it? Y'all remember the good old days when you could just slam a sixer on the way home from work without your seatbelt on and your toddler driving for you so you could double fist them silver bullets? You remember the good old days? Back before we were a communist country. Mm. The whole sermon was just built around that one clip. And what is this? This is nostalgia. This, this romanticizing of the past where we cling to the past in deluded and very, very, very unhealthy ways. And Solomon, y'all remember Solomon? We spent a lot of time in his book not too long ago. He was anticipating this when he said in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10, Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Don't say, why is it that everything used to be better? That's, that's not a wise thing to ask. It's not a wise way to think. And that brings us back to Peter's fishing trip. Right, let's put ourselves in Peter's sandals here, okay? Um, it's been a pretty head-spinning week for the guy. Uh, he's, you know, he's followed Jesus. He's seen all these remarkable, insane things. God's Messiah in space and time on planet Earth. But then they, they get to Jerusalem, and it all goes south. Jesus is arrested. He's mocked. He's judged. He's murdered. He's stuffed down in the tomb. And then you got Easter morning, and the empty tomb, and the angels, and all these post-resurrection appearances. All that to say, the dude has had quite a week. You know what I mean? I don't know what kind of week you've had, but it's probably not been any more drama-filled than this guy's week was. And so you can imagine him just wanting to get away from it all, right? You've been there. And so he, he goes out fishing, and the nostalgia is probably washing over him again as he throws those nets out into the sea, and he remembers this time when things were simpler for him, and he was just a fisherman. Now, I am I'm 37 years old. 
been in Central Texas. Think I did it all myself. Uh, I am 37 years old. I've been in Central Texas about two decades at this point. And so, you know, in a lot of ways, this, this is home for me. But yeah, I'm telling you, some unique feeling still washes over me when I'm driving back home to my motherland, deep east Texas. And you hit that piney wood curtain. You know what I'm talking about? Hundred foot tall pine trees start creeping up over the horizon. When you hit that piney wood curtain in Kennard, Texas, population 17, half of whom are Sarah Hammond's family. Okay, you can ask about it. I'm serious. Sarah Hammond had a Kennard High School letterman in first service. Um, and I enjoy visiting my past because there was so much that was good there. And it's important to visit there occasionally, but I can't live there. Because that's the thing about the past. You can't live in the past. You can only not live in the past. If you try to live in the past, all you end up doing is not living. And so Peter's out there in the waters, you know, he's trying, he's trying to live in the past, and who comes looking for him? It's Jesus. And I love how Jesus just gently kind of draws Peter out of his past, right? Peter's out there on the waters fishing for his past. Meanwhile, Jesus is fishing for Peter to pull him out of his past, back in the present. Oh. And to Peter's credit, certainly in keeping with his rather impulsive instincts, we're told that when he realizes Jesus, he puts on his clothes, I don't know, and he jumps into the water and he swims out to find Jesus on the shore. I love the little detail too about how he just left everybody else in the boat hanging. You know, they're just like a thousand fish in this net. We got it, Peter. It's fine, man. We know you love him so much. Remember when he called you Satan? All that to say, <laughs> Peter, Peter can still go fishing. Fishing's fine. I don't want anybody thinking Austin's anti-fishing, okay? Peter can still go fishing, but he's not a fisherman anymore. No. Who's he? He's the apostle Peter, the, uh, the rock upon whom Jesus is going to build his church, being called to once again leave his nets behind and follow his Lord. He can fish, but he's not a fisherman anymore. He's the apostle Peter. The past that we all carry are all different, and they are all this mixed bag of good and bad, and we carry the good of the past well when we carry it, not with this deluded and stubborn nostalgia, why is it everything used to be better? No. Rather, we carry the good of the past well when we carry it with this sort of open-handed gratitude. Right? We're grateful for it. We let it come to us when it comes to us, but we don't try to hold on to it and live it. But then not everything from the past is good. Certainly not my past. And so how do we carry the bad of the past well? Back to our story. Peter, he jumps out of the boat. He swims to the shore to see Jesus. And good memories of his original call to discipleship are probably just washing over him, right? Uh, when he finally gets to the shore, Jesus has a fire and fish tacos waiting for him, right? I mean, y'all, can you imagine that kind of start to your day? JC whipping up some breakfast tacos for you after a brisk morning swim? I mean, this is an amazing start to the day. But as Peter stands at that fire, that fire that John very conspicuously specified was a charcoal fire, another ghost of Peter's past comes back to haunt him, and this one's not so pleasant because it was only a few days ago that Peter was standing around another fire that John, the writer of the gospel, also very conspicuously specified was a charcoal fire. You remember the story? In John 18, verse 18. It says, now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made our charcoal cold fire for it was cold and they were warming themselves and Peter was also with them standing and warming himself and do you remember what happened around that that charcoal fire that night yeah you do what happened around that fire was the most humiliating and shameful moment of Peter's life because it was around that charcoal fire that he denied his Lord 
three different times. I stood there watching his Lord be beaten and mocked and shamed. Three different times he's asked, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And three different times he denies it. He answers and he says, no, I'm no disciple of his. So you can almost feel this ghost of the past just kind of crawling up Peter's spine as he stands around that fire. And then Jesus makes it clear that this is a ghost of the past that Peter is going to have to confront if he's ever going to move forward. Because in verses 15 through 17, we get this very iconic story wherein three different times, three consecutive times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? You remember? Now, can you remember another time that Peter was asked three consecutive questions while standing around a charcoal? It's the exact same story, right? John 18. Three different times he's asked, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Three different times he says, no. Now, we might feel as if Jesus is being a little bit harsh here. (laughs) Seeing as how he is explicitly confronting Peter with a very painful part of Peter's past. And so we might wonder, why can't Jesus just let it go, man? (laughs) I mean, this is a little harsh. The dude probably feels bad enough. Why can't you just let it go, Jesus? But Jesus can't just let it go. Because he knows that Peter can't just let it go. Because our past is what we carry, not what we've left behind. And so Jesus knows that what Peter really needs is to learn how to carry his wounded past well. And that brings us to the second and third unhealthy ways of carrying our wounded past. Denial and shame. Okay? Denial and shame. So <clears throat> here is something very, very important about your past that I know. I did a little bit of digging this week on you all. And, and what I know is that you live with the scar tissue of the stupid, senseless, and sometimes terrible things that you have done. And the stupid, senseless, and sometimes terrible things that have been done to you. I know that this haunted past that you carry around is something for which you are neither completely innocent nor completely guilty, but a very complicated mix of both. And as tempting as it is to want to deny our complicated history, and as tempting as it is to want to just give in to the shame of it, it is imperative that we trust that our God is a God who is fully committed to fully redeeming our histories, if we'll just let him. Now, I was in fifth grade when my parents got a divorce. And even back then, I was this absurdly independent and stubborn child. And so I remember crying about it that day, And then not for like a decade (laughs) because I was in denial because I was too prideful to admit that this thing had like broken me and it meant there was now this new future for my life that I'd never anticipated. I didn't want to admit it. I wanted to deny it. But you can't find healing by walking in denial and pretending like it never happened. And you want to know why? Because it did happen. It did happen. And so you cannot not carry it. And this brings us to the inverse and healthy ways of carrying our wounded past, namely acceptance and contrition. Acceptance and contrition. One of my neighbors, she's in the grandmother phase of life, and she's raised three wonderful kids, and so when she gives parenting advice, I tend to listen. Uh, it was about a year ago, we're all out in the front yard, cul-de-sac, playing around, and one of my kids, this is going to be very shocking, but one of them did something very mean to the other one, and I caught him in the act, like eye contact, you know the look I'm talking about? And so then one of my boys offered one of those, I call them CYA apologies, where it's like, wham! Sorry, Dad, my bad. Bam, 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 bam! And it was a Friday night, so I just, I wasn't in a disciplinary mood, okay? Not my best moment, but I wasn't in a disciplinary mood. So I just said, "Uh, it's okay, just just don't do it again. 
And in a very rare moment of helpful unsolicited parenting advice from a neighbor, um, my neighbor turned to me. She said, so Austin, for whatever it's worth, whenever my kids were growing up and they did something wrong and they apologized, we made sure that we never said, it's okay. And instead we said, I forgive you. Not it's okay, but I forgive you. Because you know what? It is not okay to just punch your brother in the face. It's not okay. But I do want to be able to forgive you for it. Your brother doesn't. Maybe one day he will be. I do want to be able to forgive you for it. And I think this is a really helpful way to think about the way in which God redeems our past. Because there is a lot of confusion about the way that grace works in our lives. See, a lot of people are under the impression that grace just kind of magically erases our past. And I know that might sound good at first, but it would actually not be a very gracious thing for God to do. Because if God were to just erase our past, then God would be in a very real sense erasing us. And so God refuses to let us deny our past by erasing our past because God is fully committed to redeeming all of our past because God is fully committed to redeeming all of us. To quote James Smith again, he says, grace is overcoming It's not undoing, it's not effacing, it's not regretful, it's overcoming. Now there's something scandalous about the way that God takes up this contingency in our lives, all of it, even the heartbreak and the sorrow, the evil and the injustice, and he forges it into the singular life that is mine, that is me, because it is me, the fruit of zigs and zags, stitches and scars, who is then renewed, empowered, and called. Or as Rowan Williams puts it, this is one of my favorite quotes about the gospel, he says, the gospel will not ever tell us that we are innocent but it will tell us that we are loved. In closing, if you want to carry this complicated past that we all inevitably carry, well, then first off, you have to learn how to carry it with acceptance. Now, acceptance does not mean endorsement because we certainly cannot endorse everything that we have done nor everything that has been done to us, but we do have to accept it because it happened. And in so doing, we entrust that a good and gracious God can bring good out of even our worst happenings. And then second, it means that instead of walking around under this constant cloud of shame and regret, always looking back to the past, we are instead able to walk in a posture of contrition, humbly and boldly confessing our sins, not because it's no big deal, not because it doesn't matter, not because it's just okay. It's not necessarily any of those things. It sometimes does matter a lot. It's sometimes not okay. No, we can humbly and boldly confess our sins because our Father, who art in heaven, delights in forgiving his children. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come to you today and we are so grateful to be here. We receive today as a gift because we could never deserve it. We are here because and only because a good and gracious God has decided to host all of us for another day. God, we come before you today and we, we bring our past with us. How could we not? Our past are an essential part of who we are and all of the past that we carry in here are a very mixed bag of good and bad. And so God, for those heavy parts of our past that we carry in today, I pray that perhaps you might help some of us move past denial 
pretending like these things didn't happen, that we didn't do these things, that these things weren't done to us, and that we could accept, instead move towards some acceptance, not endorsement, but acceptance, because we trust that you can bring good out of even the worst happenings. Then God, instead of walking in a posture of shame, believing that our past is somehow irredeemable, we pray that you would help us to walk with contrition, boldly and humbly confessing our sins, because we know that nothing makes you happier than forgiving and redeeming us. And so we have nothing to hide. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.